we're going to go ahead and open our scriptures today. Again, we're going to be talking today about a real important topic, and that topic is temptation. There was a young boy, his name was Bobby, and Bobby had a relationship with a porta potty that he walked by every day on his way to school. Every day on his way to school, Bobby would pass by that porta potty and he would consider kicking it down the cliff. But every day that Bobby walked by it, he resisted that temptation. That all changed one day when Bobby had a particularly bad day at school. He learned that day about boring topics like George Washington who cut down the cherry tree but was not punished because he was honest. And well, that day, Bobby failed a math test. He was headed to his friend's house. He was passing by that porta potty. He was in a bad mood. And that day, he decided to give it a solid kick. And that porta potty tumbled down the cliff until he watched it rest at the bottom there uh, below. Bobby now felt satisfied and he continued on his way to his friend's house. Bobby had a great time at his friend's house, but it was finally time to go home. And he noticed when he got home, his father was in a particularly bad mood. He asked Bobby if he knew anything about that porta potty that was at the bottom of the cliff. Bobby was a little bit nervous and he wanted to lie, but he thought about George Washington and that cherry tree and he decided to come clean. Bobby told his father, Dad, it was me. I won't lie to you. I kicked that porta potty down the cliff because, well, I was in a bad mood and I'd had a bad day. And it came to a shock to Bobby that his father grabbed him and he spanked him. Bobby, now in tears and pain, said, Dad, why did you do that? George Washington's parents didn't punish him when he cut down the cherry tree. The father looked straight at Bobby in the eyes and he said, That's because George Washington was not in the cherry tree. (laughs) Temptation is the feeling we get when we encounter something. It's an opportunity to do something we innately know we should not do. It's a quote from author and speaker Steve Moroli, and I think I agree with him. Temptation, when it comes to us at first, seems like a great idea, but then when we follow through on that, we're understanding something in our gut that says, wow, there was a warning to me, I shouldn't have done that. Today we're in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to read from verse 1, And I especially think at the end of this, there's going to be something that you're going to really recognize. The end of this passage is something iconic, something that many of us have memorized even in the past. We're picking up in verse uh, 1, it says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and and ate the same spiritual food and All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. What's he saying here? He's saying, remember back to Moses, and remember out of of Egypt towards the promised land, God led his people, and he led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They all ate the manna, the spiritual food that God gave to them. They drank the spiritual drink, which was Moses, again, even uh, uh, striking the rock and water poured out of it. So they had these blessings from God, and he's reminding us about our our ancestors in the Old Testament. He uh, then picks up in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Remember the ten spies? The ten spies wanted to go into the promised land. Most of them came back and said, Too big, we can't can't do that. 
And so God said, hey, because of your faithlessness, I'm going to let this generation die in the desert and let your kids be the one to take the promised land. So he's just rehearsing that for us. He's reminding us of that. I'm picking up in verse 6 now. Now then, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'm assuming today that most all of us would agree that we have been tempted in life, that we understand at least at a little level what it means to be tempted studies would say that all of us understand temptation at a certain level and we struggle with it in a study that was done about five years ago by the Barna group they discovered that they asked people what are the things that you most uh, struggle with when it comes to temptation and there were some things that really hit the top of the list there were two that hit 60% of Americans that said they are tempted in this way. Let me explain both of those to you. 60% of Americans say that they often or sometimes are living in a state of noticeable or debilitating temptation to anxiety or worry. 60% would admit that, that they have that propensity to worry and they're consumed by that. And again, I think that's only, uh, that's only gone skyrocketed during the pandemic. I mean, statistics would even say that, again, among especially young people, there is a, a, an overwhelming sense of uh, even a crisis when it comes to mental health and, and mental illness. And there's just an underlying anxiety and worry in our culture. 60% of Americans would often say that they are sometimes or often stuck in habits of, uh, here it is, procrastination. Have you ever done that one before? And, you know, that's a temptation to put something off that we should be doing to not do something that we should be doing in a timely manner. And again, statistically, that would be something that would be even a more a, a big struggle with younger people. At any given place in time, whether it's uh, at a workplace or maybe it's at a college campus or wherever you are with a large group of people, you could draw a circle around about 60 people or about half of them that would be in this pain or frustration or dysfunction or this destruction that's caused by the inability to cope with temptation. So we have a lot of motivation today to understand better what temptation is, how it operates, and what our response is when that's coming to us. The punchline of this verse today, I'm hoping that you recognize it, is verse 13. And I want to put that back up on the screen again and read that again because this is the portion of this passage that I really want to anchor on today. We're going to dip back into the previous portions of the passage, but this is really where the uh, rubber meets the road. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God's faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
I think there's a number of people here today, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet a number of you have memorized that verse. And you've memorized that verse for an important reason. You understand the reality of temptation. You understand that it's pervasive, it's real, it's involved in our lives. Paul has set this passage up in a very interesting way because the front end of the passage is this emphasis, emphasis upon the Jewish ancestors, those in the Old Testament that went before us. And he says, I want to tell you about some of the blessings that they got and some of the sins that they committed. They were tempted and they sinned. And I want to do that for you in order, in order for you to understand them as examples so that you won't repeat the same mistakes. Paul assumes a pretty deep understanding of Jewish biblical history. And some of the examples I read today went whoop right past you because they were a little bit cryptic. I want to help you unpack a couple of those today. I did a little bit of that on the front end, but I want to help you unpack a little bit more of that. But I'm going to use this one main sentence, verse 13, as the real anchor for today's passage. Today, I want to explain the essential nature of temptation. And I want to give you three words that help us understand and describe temptation in our lives. Three biblical words, three uh, concepts that are uh, held in this passage today that help us understand the nature of temptation. First, temptation is common. Some of you are like, duh. I mean, yeah, okay, there's nothing new in that one. This is what Paul says. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. Temptation comes to every believer in Christ. Nobody gets a free pass there. Everybody is tempted at some portion in life. Maybe some of you even recognize that you are tempted daily. Temptation in itself is not sinful. It's when we give into that temptation, that when we cross over from temptation into sin and we dishonor God, that's when it becomes the real problem. And in verses 7 to 11, Paul gives a running commentary of the Old Testament saints, and he tells us about the temptation that they faced and the sin that they committed, and he does that again as an example to us. And so let me run through that list real quickly so that you can see that. And what I'm going to give you is the verse that Paul talks about here, the rites here. I'm going to give you its corresponding spot in the Old Testament and the episode that they were facing at that moment. So let's go through those. I'm starting with verse 7, and he says this, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now that is an exact quote from Exodus 32, verse 6. If you go look that up, it's an exact quote back to that, and the whole episode is that golden calf. You remember the story. Moses is off on, uh, on the mountain of Sinai. He's getting the law from God. Everybody says, man, he's been gone a long time. Aaron, help us out. We need something visual to help us know the God that uh, delivered us from Egypt. And so, again, the story goes that they took off their jewelry and their earrings of gold. They gave that to Aaron. And one of my favorite uh, little expressions in all of the Old Testament is that Aaron says, we put that in the fire and out popped the calf. I mean, you know, like, hey, we didn't do anything. This just appeared before us. And, you know, we all know that's a lie. But, you know, hey, there you go. And so, again, uh, what he's saying is that they were tempted into this idolatry, and they pursued that in this golden calf episode. The next verse is in verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. 
That comes from Numbers chapter 25. And the episode is Israelite men who had sex with Moabite women. And the Moabite women were involved in this cult called the Baal of Peor. It was a worship group. And sex was a part of that. And these men went and they, well, they engaged. And as a judgment, 23,000 of them were killed by God uh, and a destroying angel, as it were, that came upon them. And so again, he's, he's telling us something about the history here of the saints that went before us. Verse 9, here it is. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. I want you to notice something here, and you may have noticed it when I read it, but he's saying Christ was the one that was put to the test, and he anchors Christ in the Old Testament at this time, and Christ is the one who is the spiritual rock. Christ is the one who's the spiritual food, and so he's really bringing us something that's very Trinitarian here right now, and he's placing Christ at that moment as the one who is the guiding and the, and the one who's the provider of the people. And so he's saying here, Christ is the one that was put to the test, and some of them were destroyed by serpents. That was the episode in Numbers 21 where they grumbled over the food and water. And they said, you know, uh, manna, is that all we get? I mean, this is, I'm just tired of manna. And, you know, water, we're, 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 we're thirsty and we don't have enough water. And, you know, God consistently provided water for them, but they wanted more. And who knows, maybe they wanted, you know, grape aid or whoever knows. I mean, they had a hankering for something else that, that, that they wanted, but they were not satisfied. And then finally, verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did as they were destroyed by the destroyer. That's number 16. And there's a group that rebelled against Moses. It's called Korah's Rebellion. And it's a group that said, Moses, you're not the only leader here. We're leaders too. And so they were dissatisfied with uh, Moses as the leader. The Old Testament followers stumbled. The Old Testament followers of God stumbled. They were pursuing other gods. They were uh, not remaining sexually pure. They were dissatisfied with what God provided. They rebelled against God's leaders. And maybe that is not the exact temptation that you face. I mean, I will admit I'm not tempted today to go build a golden calf literally. But I think you will admit with me that we're all tempted to make idols out of something. We're tempted to make idols out of money or sex or power or sports or video games or Even our children could become a spot of idolatry for us. Anything I cherish can quickly become an idol to me. Contrary to popular belief, the devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and have pointy horns on his head. The devil comes like this. He comes in everything you ever wished for. Oh, I can help you fulfill that. Everything you've ever wanted. Oh, I can help you with that. He comes telling you, that you deserve that extra brownie, you should just eat it. He comes telling you that, you know, you've been disappointed with God so many times, just go do what you want to do. That that would be the best. He comes telling you, now, if you want security, (laughs) money is that object, money's that thing. And so go make more of that so that you can just finally feel secure in life. Temptations are common to all of us, And we should not be surprised when we face them. All right. Second, temptations are deceitful. I'm in verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Temptation is deceitful. It looks so innocent. It's it's dressed in clothes that look so innocent. It comes speaking words that seem so right and so natural. 
But underneath, temptation is filled with deceit. Because the one who is doing that is the devil who is seeking your destruction. I love a little phrase that Denise uses with gals that she disciples. The phrase that she commonly uses is, Satan promises pleasure, but delivers pain every time. She always reminds people of that. And I, and I love that reminder of my own life. Satan is always promising pleasure, but he's delivering pain every time. Paul indicates that the person who should most be on the lookout right now is the person who considers themselves strong. If you consider yourself to be strong, you consider yourself to be mature, perhaps that is a very dangerous position for you. And I might add this. It's also dangerous to be perceived by others as being spiritually strong. That may also put you in a very dangerous category. By the way, I understand implications for me there. But I want to tell you something that was, I've held off on this, but I've just thought about it and prayed about it. And it's probably the gut punch for me of all last year. Uh, you know, again, COVID was pretty big, but there was one episode, one incident that happened that just really brought me to my knees. It was the story of Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi Zacharias, as many of you know, was one of the best apologists of the 20th century. And for context, I knew Ravi. Ravi came to Columbine after uh, when I lived in Littleton, Colorado, and spent time with us. He was in my home. I ate meals with him, and I, 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 I appreciated Ravi. I, I appreciated who he was, and I appreciated what he did, and I appreciated his demeanor. Never in a million years would I believe that Ravi Zacharias was having relations with women literally all over the globe. And when I first heard little hints of that, I was like, no, not that guy, not Ravi. You know, he's in my, you know, top five of, you know, really leaders that I aspire to be like. But the longer that the group, the independent group that was doing the investigation dug, the more true it became that it really had happened. Ravi stumbled and fell repeatedly. And if Ravi, <laughs> who I consider to be pretty strong, was at risk of falling, where does that leave me? Where does that leave you? Let me tell you, it leaves you vulnerable. Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking he, whom he will devour. And that's where you are. That's where I am. The Bible's clear. God is not the author of temptation. He allows temptation to occur, but He's not the author of it. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So God is not the author of temptation. Satan is. And he is inviting us to sin against God. Perhaps there's no better story of that than the story of the Garden of Eden. And you know the story. Uh, Eve meets the serpent and she tells the serpent, mm, no, God has said we're, we're going to eat from any tree, but not that tree that's at the center of the garden. And if we do, God told us that we will die. The serpent says, oh, oh, oh. did he tell you that? Did he tell you that? Oh, let me tell you the reason why. God knows that when you eat from that tree, 
you'll become like him. He's holding back on you. And you'll know good and evil. And it will be awesome. And Eve falls to that ploy, and she does. She eats. You'll be like God. That's what humans want, autonomy, to be the master of my own ship. But every time we do that, every time we fall to the temptation that looks so good, so enticing, so wooing, so mesmerizing, there's a death that follows from that. And that's what happened with uh, Eve, and that's what happened with Adam, and that's what has happened to all of the human race as we have partaken in that. Again, sin is always going to look so good. It's going to look so enticing because it's deceitful. Because the one who's behind it is deceiving in the way he goes about it. And it's going to look so wooing and so enticing. I have a story from uh, 1987. It was the story uh, covered by the New York Times about a radioactive contamination that happened in Brazil. It's one of the biggest contaminations ever that's happened in history. Four people died, and, and catch this, 112,000 people were exposed to radioactive elements. Here's the way the story went down. The incident began with a private radiology institute that moved from one site to another and unknowingly, unknowingly left behind one of the machines that was used for cancer therapy. Now, some of you know this, but in cancer therapy, there are machines. They have radioactive elements, and that's what they use to shoot the radioactivity into the cancer to diminish it. But in the middle of that machine is some radioactive isotopes. Well, the company left to go to a new building, and they left that machine behind. Enter into two men who went illegally into a partially demolished building and found that unit and the container with the radioactive stuff they wheeled home because they saw something in it that they thought that they might like. There was one of the thieves that punctured a small hole in the container's thick window, allowing him to see a deep blue light coming from the tiny opening he had created. The thieves sold the container to the owner of a local scrapyard, and he noticed the blue glow from the punctured capsule. Thinking the capsule's contents were valuable, valuable or even supernatural, he immediately brought it into his house. Over the next three days, the scrapyard owner invited friends and family to view the strange glowing substance. The scrapyard owner and several other workers took the machine apart, and inside they found a shiny bluish dust, which they later told doctors glowed in the dark. And attra attracted by the pretty powder, several people handled it, examined it, and even rubbed it on their skin. Soon, many people became very sick, and a medical physicist used the device to confirm the presence of radioactive materials, and he was the one who alerted officials that there had been a disaster. Radioactive isotopes are great when properly used. They can even help to treat cancer. But although they appear so alluring, although they appear so magic, they can be deadly. Temptation is deceitful. So many times... When we succumb to it, then we are bringing a form of death upon ourselves. All right, there's one more I want you to see. Third and finally, temptation is escapable. Verse 13, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As one author puts it, there is always an escape hatch. There's always some way 
to avoid that temptation from turning into sin. And Paul gives us some important information about that. He said, God is faithful. One of the best ways to find escape from temptation is to focus on the faithfulness of God. If you just focus on your own circumstances, if you just focus on your own desires, you're sunk. I mean, if you look at that chocolate chip cookie long enough, you will eat it. All right? I mean, that's just, that's just human nature is to go in that direction. God is not a spectator. He's not one who's leaving his children alone to be uh, tempted by everything that God throws at them with no resources. God is one who's saying, I am giving you resources in order that you might resist this, this temptation. And furthermore, God's not always the one that's removing that temptation. Sometimes he's leaving that in your life in order that you might face that, that you might be successful, and that you might grow through that experience. I'm reminding again of the, of the book of Job and all the troubles that Job faced. But that was, again, because God knew that Job was one who was able to handle that. And again, twists and turns in that story, and Job never even knew about the discussion between God and Satan. But again, God's saying, I'm bringing some, or allowing some temptations in your life in order to uh, prove myself inside of you. The secret to resisting temptation and the source of te- is to understand the source of temptation and the strength that we have to overcome that temptation. And we must most often understand that God has given us resources. And that best resource, again, is the Holy Spirit. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, when we're walking in step with the Spirit, walking in step with God, then our likelihood of, of sin is diminishing. I love a story told by Kenneth Birding. He's the New Testament uh, professor uh, at Biola University. And he tells a story of going uh, on a vacation with his wife to celebrate a birthday to San Diego. He said, we arrived at the hotel in San Diego. We put down all of our bags. And he said, we went uh, looking around to some of the local stores. And we ran across one store. He said, you know what it's like. It's that store that's the ice cream shop with the waffle cones. And the smell of the waffle cones is wafting out. And you see all that ice cream that they pack into the waffle cone. That thick, chunky, yummy ice cream, he said. He said, I turned to my wife Trudy and I said, we're on vacation, honey. Do you want to get an ice cream? And he said, we talked about it for a minute. And then we decided, you know what? We would enjoy that more tomorrow because we're getting ready to go back to the hotel tonight and have dinner. So they bypassed the ice cream. The next day, they walked by the same ice cream shop. They were smelled the waffle cone smell, and they saw that luxurious ice cream. And he says, I turned to my wife, Trudy, and I asked her, he says, I knew what she was going to say, but I asked her, would you like that ice cream now? And she said, heavens, no. There's no way I could have, that, that sounds awful to me right now. There's no way I could do that. Why not? What could have possibly changed that she would not want that waffle cone and that ice cream? The answer is very simple. They were full. Actually, he says, we were stuffed. He said, just moments ago on that second day, we had left the hotel that had provided this beautiful brunch. We had eaten this extravagant brunch of crepes and omelets and waffles and fruit and muffins. He said, we were just filled all the way to the brim. No more than 30 minutes later, we were walking by that ice cream shop, and it no longer held any desire for us. We no longer wanted to eat any of that ice cream because we were full of something else. Here's his point. As you walk in the Spirit, as you depend upon the Spirit, your desire for sin is actually minimized. 
You're able to withstand temptation better because you're filled up with something else. You're filled up with God. The way of escape, it can come in many different ways. It could be just fleeing. It could be uh, talking to a friend and having them pray for you and, and hold you accountable. I know everybody in the room today has been tempted, and this is what I will also say, you failed. Now, sure, there have been times in which you've been successful with temptation and sin, but let's face it, there's other times you've dove in both feet. So what's the secret to being renewed? What's the secret to recovery? 1 John 1.9 is one that I've memorized, and many of you have also, because it's so important in the Christian life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is saying, I, I, I understand. I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to go there. But if you sin, then I've given you a resource. I've given you a way of becoming for, uh, well, you're already forgiven, but of reestablishing your walk with me, and it's through the confession of that sin. Now, of course, I don't mean a cheap repentance. I don't mean a repentance that's like, well, you know, I'll do this today because I know I can confess tomorrow. I mean, that's not what God means. He means a, a really full-throated repentance, one in which we're really sorrowful for the sin, one in which we want to be cleansed, and one in which we want a new track. We want to be taking a new path coming forward where we're not repeating that again and again. You see, some t- temptation's common, but with God's power, it can be overcome. Temptation's common, but with God's power, it can be overcome. I want to close with a story about a famous composer and singer of mine, Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins died in 1997 at the age of 41 in a tragic car accident. And he's a very famous composer because he composed songs like uh, Sing Your Praise to the Lord and Step by Step. Sing Your Praise to the Lord was the song that Denise and I had played as we walked off the altar down the aisle at our wedding. And step by step, I, I, I sang that to my children. So the, these songs just, you know, have a, a spot in me. Mullins, Mullins once confessed at a concert that he struggled with watching pornography, especially when he traveled. And one of his spiritual mentors said, you know, hey, it's not healthy for you to travel by yourself. Bring along somebody else to be in a companion for you in order that they might help you with this. And so he did. And he went to Amsterdam, which is known for its red light district, and he had that friend with him in the hotel. And he said, inside, I was wanting my friend to go to sleep, and I was waiting for him to snore. And when he snored, he said, I imagined that I would go out into the town, and this is the way he put it, maybe it would be fun just to take a walk and be tempted. He waited until 5 a.m. in the morning for his friend to start snoring, but his friend never did. Meanwhile, in the midst of that temptation, Mullins picked up a notebook and he wrote words to one of his most famous songs. That song is Hold Me Jesus. Here's how it goes. And I wake up in the night and I feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul. I swear there must be blisters on my heart. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been my king of glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Because of that story, that background, 
That song has been often called the prayer for porn addicts. I think a better name for that song is called a prayer for anyone who's ever been tempted. That includes all of us. Temptation's common, but with God's power, it can be overcome. Lord, thank you. Thank you again that you love us so deeply. Your gospel is not based on our perfection. Your gospel is based on your goodness, your love. And you not only forgive, Lord, but you heal. And you make right. And you give second and third chances. And Lord, we're grateful today that you tell us very clearly that we will be tempted But there is a way of escape each time that that comes. And we're praying today, Holy Spirit, we'd be so full of you that we would recognize when that's happening and we would recognize the course we can take. Why? Because we're responding to your love. Your love has overtaken us. And so we want to do everything that we can to honor you and make you look good to the onlooking world. And even, Lord, on the inside of us to have a level of congruity and wholeness. So Lord, help us. Help us to be those that honor you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.